Hey, welcome to week number two in our series called Relationship Goals. Uh, this is actually the finale because it's a real short series. And uh, listen, happy Valentine's Day, the day of love, February 14th. And, and I'm just wondering, you join us on uh, our, our online campus. Uh, what's your favorite love song? Go ahead and put that in the chat, whatever that, that favorite love song is uh, of yours. And uh, uh, actually, I want to share with you, if you've never heard it before, just a little shout out. Uh, what I think is like probably the best love song written in the last decade, maybe even in this whole century, didn't get a whole lot of exposure because it was just released a year ago. Um, and, uh, and that is actually a, a great song. Just want to help you out on Valentine's Day by Gregory Porter called If Love is Overrated. If you've not heard this song, uh, you need to download that. You'll, you'll thank your pastor because I'm a man of good taste, and, uh, and you'll, just, you'll be thanking me about that. Uh, it came out last Valentine's Day, and I think because of the shutdown and COVID and all that stuff kind of got lost in a lot of that, but just a real smooth, just excellent, excellent love song. And, and by the way, as we're talking about, just put that in your chat, your favorite love song you know, in like the last 10 years, uh, or, or maybe all time, uh, whatever. Also, you'll notice we do have these emojis now, not just the heart, but also clapping hand emoji and the praise hands emojis. Hey, just show me some love on that, you know, as we go through the message, because the reality is uh, my salary is tied to how many emojis I get uh, during this sermon. No, I'm just kidding, but it, it does, it is really, really encouraging. So just use those in the chat. You just kind of go to the uh, right part there uh, of the chat, and you'll see those pop up if they're not on there for you, and, and you can show some love as we work our way through here, because that's what we want to talk about uh, in this series uh, as the finale here, is we want to talk about pure, purity, and specifically about sex, and, and God's design for sex, uh, and and really from the owner's manual, the one who created it from God's word, the Bible, because it, here's the thing that, that's so important. Uh, God wants uh, you and I, uh, when we're married, that sex would be pleasurable, that it would be powerful, uh, and, and it would be something that's sustainable uh, in our marriages, and, and that's exactly what you and I will experience in marriage if we do it his way, and, and uh, I, I know the pushback here, you kind of cop an attitude like, you, you know, who is he to tell me how, you know, this is supposed to be, well, he created sex, he, he knows how it works best, and, and as, you know, the pushback, like, he's just trying to steal my fun and all, well, think about that for a minute, you don't say that when you go to Home Depot to buy, buy a chainsaw, uh, and when they have the owner's manual of how to properly use the chainsaw, uh, it's not in there because they want to steal your joy, they, they don't want you cutting your arm off. And, and, and a lot of people, you know, just messing up and, and causing all kinds of personal damage to themselves and others because they're not doing it the way God wants us to. We're not following the way he designed sex. Devil didn't make up sex. God did. Devil couldn't create something that good. And, and so we need to follow the owner's, man, the manufacturer's manual. And, and that's God's word, the Bible. And in fact, a, a lot of what I want to share today is, is based on an excellent book that I, I really want to recommend to you by Levi Lusco, a pastor called Swipe Right. Uh, how many of you remember like the Cliff Notes uh, back in school? They'd have the Cliff Notes, the different books that you were supposed to read or I was supposed to read when I was in high school. I don't even know if they have those anymore, but I lived on Cliff Notes. Man, Cliff was my best friend. And uh, this is kind of the Cliff Notes version of that, but I encourage you to pick up the book uh, because it talks about, again, this is the bridge version, Cliff Notes, just 
just, just about the whole plan of uh, just really life and death, power of sex and romance, and uh, from a biblical point of view, uh, really, really important. So here is the, uh, here's the big idea today that, that I think is important for us to remember, and that is this. When you take what God's told you not to touch, and you give away what God, you give away what God wanted you to have all along. In other words, God gives each individual a gift of sex. He gives us that ability. And he says this is how it's supposed to be used. And when we misuse it, or we use it in the wrong context, we give away one of the greatest gifts, and we devalue one of the greatest gifts that God has given to humanity. I think a great example of this actually is, uh, I have here uh, a pineapple. You say, like, what does the pineapple have to do with sex? Well, it's interesting that uh, Columbus, when, when he came to North America and uh, discovered North America, I know that's real controversial nowadays, but just go with it for right now, uh, that um, uh, they discovered, they'd never seen this fruit before called a pineapple. And the whole idea, they were so enamored with it when you cut it open, when you slice it open, you know, it, they call it pineapple for golden apple, really. It's like the pine tree here, and, and it's like a golden apple. And when they returned to Europe, they brought a bunch of pineapples. And no one had ever seen these before, and they were incredibly valuable. In, in fact, history says that at one time, one pineapple in Europe cost $8,000. Think about that. $8,000 because it was so rare, so valuable, $8,000. In fact, a lot of architecture, the old architecture that you see when you go to Europe, different kind of churches, and you'll see on the top of the, the steeple, the spire of the church, you'll see a pineapple. Well, well that's not because, you know, Williams and Sonoma uh, decorated the church. That's not it at all. But it was saying, this building is incredibly valuable like a pineapple. And so pineapples were just, they, they would have parties and the big moment in, in the upper echelon, richest of the rich, wealthy of the wealthiest, royalty, the big like, like crescendo of the party would be the unveiling of the pineapple. And people would form a line and wait for hours just to be able to see a pineapple up close. But now pineapples are very common. In, in fact, this pineapple cost a little less than $4. Can you imagine paying $8,000 for a pineapple? And not only that, now we can just get chunks of pineapple in a can. This was two bucks. Two bucks. And so it's the pineapple is a great example of when sex becomes common like it is in our culture, we devalue it, we demean it, and it loses the incredible gift that God wants it to be. And so we're going back to the manufacturer to find out what it's really all about and how God says it works best. And so I, I want to share really, again, loosely based on uh, Levi Lusco's book, Four Lies About Sex. Four Lies About Sex. And if you're single, there's going to be something for you. If you're married, there's going to be something for you. Uh, if, if you're uh, single and you're mingling, <laughs> there's going to be something for you. If you're single and a virgin, there's going to be something for you in this message. If you're married happily and faithfully, there's going to be something for you. If you're married and you you got somebody on the side that you're committing adultery with, there's going to be something for you in this message. So just don't tune out. Uh, we're going to have something for everybody right here in this message, four lies, and, and these are lies. Now, even when I say some of them, you're going to like, well, that's the truth. No, it's a lie. It's not the truth. 
four lies about sex. Here's the first one. Sex is just a physical activity. That is what our culture says. That is what Satan wants us to believe, the deceiver, that it's just a physical activity. That's all that it is. But it's much, much more than that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, and these messages, uh, these notes are on our, our website under the sermon notes. You can follow along. I think you may want to. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 in the message uh, translation of the Bible says, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is, much, is, sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As it is written in Scripture, the two become one. And so whenever, anytime, any place that happens, and let me put it this way, consensual, I'm not talking about sexual abuse here, but, but, but consensual, this is why the two become one, and it's a spiritual oneness. It's not just a physical oneness. There's a soul, the souls become one. Spirituals become one. Uh, spiritually, they become one. Some translations, 1 Corinthians 6 says that, that when a person, uh, a man is joined to a prostitute, he becomes one with her. So think about that for just a minute. Who, whoever your sexual partners have been in your lifetime, you're still one with them. That's the facts. That's how God created to be because it's meant to be glue that holds a marriage together, but it causes all kinds of damage outside of the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. In, in other words, you, you can't, the eggs cannot be unscrambled once they're scrambled. I, I like scrambled eggs. My wife scrambles me up eggs sometimes. And, and you know, once she scrambles it, I can't be like, oh, no, I wanted it sunny side up. Can you make it sunny side up instead? Nope. It's done. There's more to sex than just skin on skin. It's more than just physical. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As it is written, the two will become one. And we talked about oneness last week. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 Bible says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do. And, and, and sex is meant to unite hearts of a husband and wife together. And so we have to guard our heart because everything, if something's wrong in our heart, it affects every area of our life. Everything we touch. When we allow something into our heart, when we allow someone to be joined to our heart, and that's what happens through sexual activity. So our culture says sex is just about physical activity. God says, no, 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 no. It's about two souls becoming one. Not just physical. It's about two spirits becoming one. And it's very interesting. Nowhere does God say, and that changes once you're married. You're still bringing all that along. Here's the second lie about sex. I can do what I want and have what God wants. That's not, that's not true. A lot of people think, I, I can just do what I want, and, and then God forgive me, and, and I'll, I'll live God's best life uh, you know, sometime in the future. I'll just get it all out of my system, and then I'll serve God. A lot of times people grow up in the church, get that. I'll just sow my wild oats, and, and then I'll, I'll walk the straight and narrow. But here's the thing. You don't get anything out of your system by doing it more. What you do is you program your sister system for the future. Let me just say it again. You don't get anything out of your system by doing that activity more and more. You program your future by the decisions you're making today. 
And so this is a really, really big lie. I can do what I want and then sometime later have what God wants. The reality is when it comes to sexual purity, we're packing a bag and in the future we're going to have to lug around what we've loaded up. And God wants that bag to be empty when a husband and wife on their wedding day. That they're, 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 they're walking free and, and light, not lugging a load of all kinds of past decisions that they've made with other people. So Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 tells us, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Boy, if that's not a picture right there. Can, 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 a, can a man be prolific sleeping with all kinds of women? It's just like heaping ashes into your lap and thinking you're not going to get burned. There are consequences to those decisions, to every one of those escapades. Consequences. And, and i just be real honest, as a pastor, a lot of times what, what I'm called in to help people with my wife Susie, staff here, is the consequences of things they did way back there that are having dramatic impact and negative, destructive impact on their marriages today. So you see, the culture's not going to tell you this. But this is what God's Word says. God's Word, can man scoop fire into his lap and notice <laughs> the analogy? without his clothes being burned. Well, of course not. Of course not. See, what you're living now plagues you later. The weeds that come out of the seeds that you planted from when you sowed your wild oats. Let me say that again. Weeds come out of the seeds that you planted when you sowed your wild oats. Way back then. Way, way back with, you know, just the, the bachelor party the bachelorette party. What, what, what could be more demeaning <laughs> to a bride than her soon-to-be husband going out and doing what knows what? God knows what in a bachelor party or bachelorette party. What, what devalues marriage and a wedding more than, than that? It's not what God has set up at all. But, but the weeds are sown when you're when you're sowing your wild oats, and one day, one day, I can do what I want now, and then one day, I'll get what God wants. See, God's highest and God's best for you isn't forgiving you, it's blessing you. And God is not required to bless anybody. We receive God's blessing when we live the way He's instructed us to live. So He'll forgive, absolutely. But there's a big difference between living below God's best and being forgiven and by the power of the Holy Spirit choosing I will live the way that God has instructed me to. I'll value what he values. I, I, I will remain pure no matter what the culture is, no matter who's putting pressure on me. And God says, I'll bless that. Big difference between being forgiven and making decisions that God says, I will bless I will bless that. The devil always wants you and I to be short-sighted, just to live for the moment, just to live for the thrill. And, and 
the reality is we need to ask ourselves, how close to God can I walk and how much of His Spirit do I want in my life? Because there's just nothing like that. There's nothing like that. And, and I think the, the most important thing is to make the decision, God, I choose your way. I choose your way. You, you design sex, I want it to be everything that you want it to be in my life. And so I'm going to walk in your way and I'm going to obey your word and your instructions. A great example of this whole short-sightedness that I think comes on us so easily is a story of Jacob and Esau. Uh, look at what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Again, this ma- message translation puts it real clear. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. I'll explain it in just a minute if you don't know the story. Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy short-term appetite. Wow. How many people have made that mistake when it comes to sex? Trading in, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. Hit it and quit it. You, know, you well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears. Esau, should he was the oldest, Abraham, Isaac, Esau and Jacob were the sons uh, of Isaac, and Esau should have been the one to receive the blessing, the inheritance, and it would have been through his line that Jesus Christ had come, that Jesus Christ came. Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau one day, he was a hunter, he was so hungry that his brother Jacob was making a bowl of soup and Esau said, give me that, I have to have that bowl of soup right now to eat. And Jacob's like, I'm not giving you that, I work hard for that. And he's like, give it to me. And Jacob said, what are you going to give me? And, and they, they bargained and Jacob said, you give me the birthright, the blessing of the firstborn even though he wasn't. And Esau said, fine. And for a bowl of soup, for short-term appetite, for short-term pleasure, to to satisfy a short-term craving, Esau gave up everything in the future. And so Jesus Christ is a descendant not of Esau, but of Jacob. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. What is that? Anytime we trade away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how later Esau regretted that impulsive act and he wanted God's blessing. God said, you don't get my blessing because you've rejected my wisdom and you've rejected my instruction. So this is a big, big lie that our enemy Satan likes to tell us. I can do what I want and have what God wants. See, We've got to, fo- to follow through. We've got to see the big picture. We, we've got to realize it's not just for the moment that we're living. We're living for the long haul. A- and make those choices a- and make those decisions. When, when I was growing up, grew up in the church, and, and as a young man, I, I decided I want to give the gift of my sexuality to my wife on our wedding night. And so I prayed. I said, God, help me. Help me to do this. And, and uh, you know, you've been around here for any time. You've, you've heard some of my life, some of my story. Captain of the football team at John Jay High School, quarterback. When 
and all the pressure, and let me put it, all the potential privileges that come with that. And yet I prayed, and I said, God, I want to stay pure. And it's by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and a whole lot of temptation that God gave me by His Spirit the strength to say no to. That when I got married to Susie on our wedding night, I was able to, as a virgin, give her the gift of my sexuality. And, and, and wouldn't you know how God is? Not only did He bless me, but He blessed her because she gave me the gift of her virginity as well. You can do it. You don't have to give in to the culture. You don't have to believe these lies. You can do it. I'm, I'm talking to those of you that are young and you're single and teenagers right now. And, and your parents right now are saying, thank God my kids are hearing this. Because you're not going to hear this in public school. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. This is God's way. This is God's way. And, and, and let me just put it this way. You, you know, if, if all you've ever had in your life is uh, in terms of like ice cream, let's say, all you've ever had is uh, chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, you don't crave mint chocolate chip if you've never tasted mint chocolate chip. But, but if you've sampled all the different flavors out there, guess what? Now when you get married and all it is, you know, now you get married and, and, it's, and it's chocolate chip cookie dough for the rest of your life. Oh, what about fudge swirl? I remember fudge swirl. Oh, mint chocolate chip. See, we set ourselves up for, for destruction because just short-term, short-term appetite, we sacrifice long-term gifts, especially when it comes to sexuality. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, it's absolutely clearly God has called us to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Freedom is that we're free to say no to sin. That's why Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life and laid that life down as a sacrifice for you and for me on the cross and rose again so that we could be free and say no to temptation, no to sin, hold out for God's best, not settle for for hand-me-downs and and sacrifice the great gift that God gave, gave to us. It goes on and says, rather use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. Not, he didn't come to make us free so we could be addicted to porn, so we could be addicted to promiscuity, sleeping around. That's not why Jesus came. He came so we could experience the blessing of God in our marriages. Those of us that are married, those of us that one day will be married. Don't, 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 don't put the shackles back on yourself. Jesus came so that we'd be free and that we could say no to sin and really experience. You know, there are surveys, and you can Google this yourself. Every time they show sexual satisfaction in marriage, do you know the, the one demographic that says more sexual satisfaction than any other in America? Christians. Husband, wife, Christ-centered marriage, over and over and over report, and it's like huge percentage more sexual satisfaction in marriage doing it the way god wants it not everyone does everyone has the choice to everyone has the choice to when we when we were enslaved to sin jesus freed us from that sin and and 
We don't need to go running back and shackling ourselves back up into sin. What you do with your liberty can actually cause you to walk into captivity. How you use your liberty. So that's the second big lie. Here's the third big lie. Sexual temptation and dating are only issues before you get married. This is so much a lie. And so many people get trapped up in this because they think, boy, once I'm married, you, you know, no problem whatsoever. I'm married, ring on the finger. You know, I, I, I got her, I reeled her in, she's mine forever. And uh, I, I don't have to work at my marriage or anything like that. And, uh, and, and we're just going to just be happy and uh, happy, happily ever after. And, uh, you know, there's no more sexual temptation outside of marriage. You don't go, you don't go blind when you put a, finger, a ring on your finger in a wedding. It, it doesn't cause you to go blind. This is a big lie, and many people fall prey to this, these lies right here, this one especially, that are married. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 explains, Paul is actually writing and answering questions uh, that the church of Corinth had on the issue of sexuality and sex in marriage and outside of marriage and, and all this, and the Holy Spirit himself, God is speaking to Paul uh, and giving him these answers that really are helpful to us. And in 1 Corinthians 7, look at what it says, verse, uh, verse 3. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. So, so the teachings of Scripture is this. When, when a man gets married, his body is not his to do with what he wants anymore. My body became the property of Susie Williamson on August 18, 1990. This belongs to her. And I'm not sure if she got a real good deal, but this belongs to her. And on August 18, 1990, her body became my property, if you want to look at it that way. That, that I don't have authority over my body anymore. She does. And she doesn't have authority over her body anymore. I do. And it goes on and it says, do not deprive each other of sexual relationship unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. Don't deprive one another so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. In other words, a husband and wife regularly, consistently need to be together physically, share sexually together. That's the way God designed it. I've said this before. Before you get married, Satan wants you to have as much sex as possible. After you get married, Satan wants you to have as little sex as possible. And it's the exact opposite of the plan that God has. God says, none before marriage. After, he says, I bless it. The marriage bed is holy, the scripture says. And I want this to be a regular part of your marriage relationship between a husband and wife. And so much so it says, don't deprive one another unless you agree. And here's the grounds. Here's the grounds to agree upon so that you can commit to prayer and fasting. But say it's where we determine how long it's going to be so that watch what it says. It says, you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, once, once you've agreed, this is okay for a week or, or for, uh, you know, three days or 40 days, whatever. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. God knows that, that, that husbands and wives, even married, there's a lack of self-control. There's temptation. 
And, and Satan's just watching. Now, it's real interesting. Uh, you do a little quick study on prayer and fasting. I've done an in-depth one in the Bible. There's basically three durations of fasting in the Bible, a 40-day fast, a 7-day fast, and a 3-day fast. A lot of times you hear a lot about 40-day fast. That's the most rare kind of fast. Seven days and three days are the most common types of fast in the Bible. Forty days is very, very rare. But, but think about it. Even if it's a 40-day fast, okay, I'm going to fast for 40 days, so no, 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 no sex between husband and wife for 40 days. That's still over 10 times a year. Do you get the idea there? God's saying this, this is supposed to be a regular part of marriage, a consistent part of marriage. And the only way to deny, don't deny one another because what you're doing is you're leaving your spouse out in the cold and you're making them vulnerable to temptation. See, let me put it this way. If you're getting filet mignon at home, you, aren't, you won't find yourself out in a dark dumpster somewhere pawing through the garbage looking for a slice of bologna. He who has an ear, let him hear what the pastor's saying. That's God's design for marriage. Filet mignon at home, you're not tempted by baloney from a dumpster. This is the teachings of Scripture. This is God's design for marriage. Because we leave our spouse vulnerable to temptation when we deny them. It's real interesting here again, back in 1 Corinthians 7 where it says the wife's body belongs to the husband, the husband's body belongs to the wife. Earlier, it just references 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Paul says that, that, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and, and you've received from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So as a Christian, my body doesn't belong to me. The moment that I received Christ as my Savior, I gave up my rights. to This is my body. I can do what I want to with it. My body belongs to God. And when I got married, my body belongs to my wife. My body is not my own. That's the teachings of Scripture. And, and so, husband and wife, don't deny one another. Don't deny one another. What God says is blessed and really needs to happen quite frequently. Now, part of it is you got, you got to talk about it. you got to be able to be mature and talk about this and have conversation about this. And you have to express what your needs are and, and, uh, and how to... to you know, really have this oneness in marriage, particularly when it comes to sex in marriage. Sex in marriage is a beautiful tool to build with. It's not a weapon to fight with. Never should it be a, a weapon to fight with. You, you know, well, you, you didn't get me what I wanted for Christmas, so forget it. What? There, there's, there's no grounds for, for this to be a weapon in marriage. Now, does it happen? Do, do people use it as a, yeah, they do, and that's what causes a lot of the problems. A lot of the problems in marriage. To refuse each other is to invite Satan to tempt your spouse to seek satisfaction outside the marriage. Paul's encouraging Christians to, husbands and wives, to be in tune with each other in matters both spiritual and physical. And just real quick, this is what happens after marriage. Satan, before you're married, he wants you to have as much sex as possible with as many people as possible. And, and, and let me just say this for the sake of marriage. Let me define marriage like you've gotten married. You've got a certificate. You, you, you're married. You're not kind of married. Living together is not kind of married. That's called fornication. That's sexual sin. Uh, marriage is marriage. 
any type of sex outside of after the wedding day, God says, is going to cause destructive patterns in your life and your marriage afterwards. But here's, here's, after you're married, Satan changes his strategy. He shifts his strategy. Satan wants to divide. He wants to keep a husband and wife apart. He, he, he don't have sex. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't be one physically uh, and, and spiritually and emotionally. Don't do that anymore because he wants to divide. He wants to destroy that marriage. He, he's working through the forbidden fruit. Now think about it for just a minute. Like, like say this is the fruit. <laughs> you, you, you know, again here. Uh, this is the forbidden fruit. If, if a couple, even an engaged couple, if they're having sex before marriage, there's adrenaline, there's all this, like, it's the forbidden fruit. There's a whole nother kind of like adrenaline rush as a result of that. And what you're actually doing, listen, just from wisdom of 30 years of pastoring and 30 years marriage, you're cultivating a craving for forbidden fruit with, with the person, your, your, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you know, whatever, uh, uh, fiance. After you're married, now God blesses it. It's different because God blesses it. It's what he actually even commands. He says should be sustained, should be frequent. And guess what you're missing? Boy, that forbidden fruit sure did taste good before the wedding day. And so sex before marriage is cultivating a craving inside that in the future, so many times, a spouse is going to look to fulfill that craving because of choices made before the wedding. He's working on the forbidden fruit. And, and let me put it this way, too. If you don't date your mate, then the devil will find someone who will. If you don't keep the fire burning, if, if you're not regularly communicating through words and actions that your spouse understands, you're first Satan will find somebody else to say, hey, I know you got that ring on your finger, but still, you're looking good, girl. Men especially, we, we just kind of think we conquer, <laughs> and our wife is like our trophy, and like I won the trophy, and, and then I don't have to do anything else. That's a fool. If you don't date your mate, then the devil will find someone who will. What, is, what, what have you already scheduled this year, weekly, <laughs> monthly, yearly, to date your mate. You got to write it in. You put it on the schedule. Friday night is date night. Well, even, even if that means get the kids to bed, we're going to watch a Netflix together. Date night. Regularly schedule it. Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail in marriage. Here's the last one. If your marriage isn't working... <laughs> It's because you're not working on it. If your marriage isn't working, it's because you're not putting in the work. Marriage, it takes more work than parenting. That's why it needs to come first. Mar marriage is the hardest work I I've ever done in my life. And I'm not saying I've always done it well. But, but I'll tell you, it's the most rewarding work when it's done right. It's the most rewarding. And so these are just some points of how Satan's strategy, well, if you're married, he wants to shift his strategy no sex, husband, wife. He wants to divide you. He's working through the forbidden fruit right over there. If you don't date your mate, then the devil will find someone who will. And if your marriage isn't working, it's because you're not working at it. Man, this is, this is good preaching. I hope those emojis are going up. This is good preaching happening here.
And here's the fourth one and the final one, and this is big, and I just want to, th- th- this is important for us, just, just hear, just listen. Fourth big lie, I've already messed up, so there's no hope for me. That, that's a lie. <clears throat> that's not true. Because your life is not over yet. And you can always start today to change the wrong decisions and actions and patterns of the past. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, the Bible says, God says, for I know the plans I have. God's got a plan for you. Declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So, so Greg, what do I do? What, what do I do if I've, if I've messed up so much? What, what do I do if I've, if I've tasted the forbidden fruit and, and I recognize I've been cultivating a craving for something God says is just supposed to be in marriage? Or, or maybe you're married and you got a little side thing going on with somebody else. What do I do? It's too late, isn't it? No, it's not too late. Your, your life is not over yet. The scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we tell him, that's God, our sins, he's faithful, and we can depend on him to forgive us of our sins, and watch this, I had the tech guys highlight it, he will make our lives clean from all sin. Listen, there is no feeling on earth like clean in the eyes of God forgiven a- and, and you start walking in the way that God has designed when it comes to sex saying no outside of marriage yes inside of marriage if you're married making it a priority and you watch as God begins to bless you because your life's not over yet there's still more to come And when we put Jesus first, the best is always yet to come. So we turn from our sin. We say, no, God forgive me. He forgives us. And he makes our lives clean from sin again. From this day forward. The reality is you and I can't change the consequences of our past, but we can say from this day forward, I will honor God. And when we do, God will bless you. And God will bless me as well. And so I think that's plenty. There's a lot more going to be said on the topic and the subject, but I think that's plenty. I'm going to ask you right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, the reality is there, there's so much, we know there's so much sexual brokenness in our country, in our culture, in our world. God, because we, we've decided to do it the way we want to, not, not the way you've designed and given us this gift. And so, Father, we just ask, I, I, I just ask for healing right now, Lord, for, for every man, every woman that's struggling. God, that that each one that needs to, Lord, would just turn to you and, and ask for forgiveness. Turn from the forbidden fruit. God, I pray that husbands and wives, Lord, would make priorities reflect your way and your will in their marriages. Date their mates. 
put, put their spouse first, even above the kids. A- and Lord, heal our brokenness a- as we honor you from this day forward. Lord, I just pray for your grace right now to have those difficult conversations. Lord, boyfriends with girlfriends, fiance to fiance, husbands to wives, single people. If there's no, no, no relationship right now, but they have those, those tough conversations with you, make that promise and that commitment to you. Lord, we know that you care. We know that you hear our prayers. And we know that you forgive us and you heal our brokenness. And God, I just bless every marriage that is represented right now watching this message as we turn from the worldly way and we walk in the way that you have designed us to in our marriages and when it comes to our sexuality. In Jesus' name, amen.